Well, now let's hear our uh, New Testament reading. Hear now from God's holy word from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. This is part of Jesus' farewell discourse to the remaining 11 disciples as he is preparing them for his coming death. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First of all, I want to tell you that the worship timekeeper, Jim Squibb, has reminded me that I may be a guest preacher, but he still expects the sermon to be short and for us to be out of here in an hour. So, sir, I will make my best effort to, to do that. And I know Erica likes to wander around up here in the middle of everybody and pace back and forth and preach sometimes in the congregation. I, I love it that way. But unfortunately, I'm an old guy. My mind isn't quite as good as it used to be. So with your permission, uh, so don't get too far from my notes, I'm going to preach here from the pulpit. All for one and one for all. Those are famous words from Alexander Dumas and the classic Three Musketeers. Athos, Portos, Artemis were members of the French King's Guard who were so close to each other, they acted as one. They could predict each other's next words and they could act together as one because they knew what the other was going to do. Although if you read the book, you recognize they have very distinct personalities. They were three individuals, those Three Musketeers, acting as one. One for all and all for one. It is the literary illusion that pops to my mind when I think of the Holy Trinity. And today on our church calendar is Trinity Sunday when we take note of the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The great three in one, the Godhead. Three individual aspects of one entity. Now, I preach occasionally throughout the Presbytery as a fill-in pastor, and I have from time to time tried to tackle Trinity Sunday from the pulpit, and i got to tell you, uh, I'm never sure how to approach it. The three-in-one Godhead is tough for me to get my head around. It may be good for an ordained preacher or seminary-trained person like Erica to understand the ins and outs of this doctrine, but it's, it's hard for me to grasp, and for most of us, I think, as well. An imperfect example maybe how we view ourselves. I was my mother's son, my kid's dad, my wife's husband, I'm Teddy's granddad. Different perspectives all for the same person, me. Several years ago when my grandson Teddy was younger, like most kids, he quickly learned dada and mama. And then grandma and granddad were not far behind. One day, my son was leaving the house, and he said to my wife, Bye, Mama! To which Teddy laughed and corrected his dad. Daddy, that's Grandma. That's not Mama. So we explained to him that Nancy, my wife, is his grandma, but is Daddy's mommy. And it took him a while to ponder on that, but eventually he got it. Then he wanted to know, well... Then who else is granddad? 
Does he have other names? And we went through that and eventually he got it. And he began to understand that one person may be known by different names. One person has different aspects in terms of how they relate to others. By the way, grandson Teddy has graduated to bigger questions than what's your name. Last week we were having a quiet conversation one evening and he said to me, Granddad, before the universe was made, what was there? Holy cow. Yikes. One of the greatest questions in the entire universe. So I, being the wise grandfather, came up with the correct answer. I said, okay, Teddy, let's watch Pokemon. Now, scholars will tell you my examples here about the Trinity and how you may think of it are not quite right. As I said, they are imperfect examples. But it brings us closer to understanding. I, at one point, tried to read all the scholarly texts, and I did a lot of research. But after a couple of years, I realized that it may be something, as I mentioned, that people like Eric and figure out, seminary trained, but I just can't get a grasp on this. For most of us, at least for me, the concept of the Holy Trinity simply needs to be accepted as one of those great mysteries of faith. But what can we take from the Trinity that has meaning and effect in our daily lives once we accept it as a mystery of faith? Well, we all know the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we know that somehow, some way, they're all one, they're all intertwined, they are together in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, I think we're good with. We got a pretty good understanding of that. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son. And the early Christians, of course, understood those two very well as well. But it wasn't until Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was actually given to the disciples. And that piece of information about the Spirit was added to the Trinity. And I think, I think the Holy Spirit may be the hardest part of that three-in-one for us to understand at all. Last week on Pentecost, we were reminded the Spirit came to the disciples in tongues of fire and a roar of wind. And in today's scripture, this part of the farewell discourse that I read, Jesus is telling his disciples ahead of time what is going to happen. From verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will declare to you the things that are to come. I guess if you just focus on that line, you might wonder if the Holy Spirit is some kind of a fortune teller. You know, like one of those little shops you might see on a street in New York City or Bridgeport, Ohio, that invites you in for five bucks to tell you what your future is going to be with her crystal ball in front of her, maybe her tarot cards. I see money and romance in your future. It's always money and romance. But the Holy Spirit is a lot more than a fortune teller. The Spirit is described as almost a sage-like presence. Your personal Obi-Wan Kenobi that will care for and guide the disciples and this entire fledgling community of early Christians after Jesus leaves. Offering exactly what those disciples needed in a great moment of anxiety. The Holy Spirit is in a sense God's guidance system for them. 
and for us. If we look closely at the text today, the scripture, we see that the Spirit will guide the disciples to truth in the future for a word that they will hear in that moment. The word, the message, the guidance will still be from the one they trusted. That's what the scripture says. The one they had a relationship with. That's Jesus. It will still be the word of Jesus, but will now come through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will speak whatever he hears, but the word will fit the needs of the community at that future time. You can't bear it now, Jesus said. But then is a different story. Sometimes when I read that verse, you can't bear it now. I can't help but be reminded of that classic line from A Few Good Men, right? Jack Nicholson says, the truth, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. And honestly, most of us probably have felt that way on one occasion or another. Oh, you're shaking your head. No, I always want the truth. But guys, do you really want to tell your wife or girlfriend that her new dress doesn't exactly work for you? When she's so excited to show it off to you. Isn't this dress beautiful? Or women, do you really want to tell your guy, the man that you love so dearly and for so long, that no matter how much you love him, his eating habits just drive you crazy? Right, Nancy? Well, those are answers that maybe we sometimes think are better left for another day. You cannot bear to hear some things right now, in verse 12, Jesus says. And I sometimes think that sounds pretty harsh. You can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. But it's really, I think, quite comforting. Don't worry, Jesus is saying. There is tough stuff ahead. You're going to face tough stuff ahead. But you will have help when the time comes. We're not talking fortune-telling future. You will find true love. The assurance here is not of some intellectual truth or a future prediction of something specific happening, but rather Jesus is giving to the disciples and through them to us a reassurance that there will be a presence that will offer the same kind of comfort that Jesus offered the disciples when he was with them. But he will soon be gone from their vision. So when he's no longer in front of them in the flesh, that comfort will come through the Spirit. Listen, Jesus said, and it will comfort you and guide you as I have. One of the things I say in my prayers every night, every night, is I pray that my kids will feel the comforting spirit. Now, they may not understand what it is that they're feeling, but I pray that they feel it. That the Spirit will remove their fears and let them know there is someone with them caring and comforting. That they have an umbrella in a storm. That's the way I see the Spirit. Ephemeral. Ever-changing. Reactive to our needs. Instructive to our best actions as children of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit intertwined together since the world began. The Godhead, the Trinity. And I see you staring at me. And you're saying, well, that's all well and good. Nice lecture on doctrine, Monroe. You did some research. 
Good to hear that. But other than an intellectual exercise, what does it mean for my life, for our lives as the children of God? Friends, I think something to consider is that the triune God created triune people. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Human beings, each of us in ourselves, are body, soul, and spirit. In fact, Paul actually wrote those words or something to that effect in Thessalonians. So in a sense, we ourselves are three in one. We are in harmony with ourselves. The Trinity is also in relationship with itself. Father, Son, Holy Ghost together in relationship, essentially forming a community within itself. That fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, it is a picture of what the perfect community would look like. Now, we will never attain perfection, at least not here on this earth, but the Trinity is something that we look at and can look forward to and think of as an example of a complete unity and community. And that's important to the Christian church. And that is why Lone Ranger Christians can be so dangerous. They don't feel a need to be part of a community of faith. Lone Ranger Christians are those who say things like, I don't need to go to church, why I can watch on Facebook. We love you watching on Facebook. We just hope that you'll come down and visit with us sometime. Or Lone Ranger Christians say, I don't need a group Bible study. Well, I can read the Bible on my own and I'll go to YouTube to find out what it means. But that is not what we were made for. We were created to be in community with God and with one another. More than just fellowship meals and post-worship coffee, we need each other in true community. We are not just individual Christians. We are a church. As the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are each seen for their individual aspects, they are also, as importantly, in perfect union together in the Trinity. Which brings me back to the three musketeers. All for one and one for all. And that's us. All for one and one for all. In the image of the Trinity, God the Creator, Christ the Savior, Holy Spirit comforting and guiding us. They are together as one Godhead, a triune people for a triune God. We are more than ourselves. We are Christ's church in community. Interwoven, intertwined, individual, and in community together. Thanks be to God. Amen.